I always tell people if God came back today and said, you can live two years of your life over again, what two years would that be? And it would totally be business school. Welcome back to the Everyday Insights Podcast. Today, we have a special episode for you featuring the inspiring Melanie Moore, someone who's navigated the spirits, fashion, and beauty industries, faced layoffs with resilience, and ultimately built a fulfilling career in academia as an associate dean at SCAD's business school. Melanie's journey is nothing short of remarkable. As usual, we have a wide-ranging conversation covering things like her newfound love for the city of Savannah, learning to appreciate global cultures through hairstylists, Uh, an embarrassing story of mine about battling skin reactions, and developing creative education curriculum in the face of AI's rise. If Melanie's story sparks a thought or you find a piece of advice particularly striking, share it with a friend and leave a comment wherever you found this podcast. But now, without further ado, let's jump into this deeply enriching conversation with Melanie Moore. Well, welcome, Melanie. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to see you again. You too. Yeah, awesome. Can't wait to uh, talk to you about some of this cool stuff you've been doing. You have a really inspiring career. I think something that when we met back in business school, I don't know, I guess I could have tried to predict this, but I don't know. It's wild. You seem to you know, change in a bunch of different directions and and it's really cool to to see. It's been a while since business school, you know, 15 years or something we've had. Oh, we've don't we've been out that. here <laughs> and it's like long enough that- me. Oh, yeah, I apologize, apologize. It's long enough that like I forget a lot of the stuff that happened, and yet it was still this really impactful time, and I have like so many weird little memories about all the people, but I find that everybody I talk to like remembers something different. What's your, your biggest thing you took away from? I always tell people if God came back today and said, you can live two years of your life over again, what two years would that be? And it would totally be business school. Oh, that's so um, nice. That was, I mean, it was so much fun. I mean, I don't know, you know, if you had the, or you felt the same experience, but I mean, we we had some fun. It was, I I always tell people like, I wouldn't trade that experience. I mean, the amount of travel that we did, you know, I did all of those study trips because I was focused on negotiations and emerging markets. So, you know, I did the Turkey, Bulgaria, Japan, China, Korea, South Africa. And so the friends that I made, during my travels, it was amazing. And then also, you know, the core, I think that's a, like ingrained and singed in my mind. Just like um, the classes, the classes aspect of the core, I mean? Yeah, like finance, yeah. McKaylee, <laughs> all of those, Eisenstein, you know, all of those great professors that we had. And then the the stress, the, and then 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 it clicking and then the rest of it being so much fun. And the friendships. So I, and the beer club, I remember. And uh, just all the great conversations, the deep conversations we had late at night studying. So it was. That's awesome. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I remember all the times like, you know, this, this intense recruiting effort that turns into, I don't know, we were just like out socializing a lot. And then, you know, we'd go to a recruiting event and then we'd all go to a bar together. It's just this cohort of people that we just spent so much time together for two years. It was really fun to have that camaraderie and friendship among a big group from, from the first morning when you wake up and get to class to the recruiting stuff after to then the fun activities afterwards. Did you take wines by any chance? I did. I I was at Cornell for undergrad as well. And I didn't take wine then. So when I went back for grad school, I said, yeah, I'm (laughs) going to get in there. Did you take a pass fail? I did. Yeah, it didn't matter okay. for our, our degree then, so there's no no need. Yeah, I took a pass fail too. I just I that was one of the classes that really stuck out to me as well. 
everyone took it past fail because it's like the most failed class at Cornell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, but I remember learning so much. And like, even now to, to this day, like I'm such a wine enthusiast. That was a really cool thing about going to Cornell too. Yeah. When we left school, you worked at Diageo, right? You were in, in alcohol brands. How yeah. Did that, how did that feel? Or what, you know, did that flow yeah, from your, I mean, your wine, wine enthusiasm? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was also in the beer club, so I was like marketing for beer club and mm. we had a beer competition. And so I used to make beer. And so my internship was for Guinness and that summer was phenomenal. Lots of parties and really great branding uh, exposure. And then afterwards I was placed on vodka so I was on Kettle One Vodka. So mm. it's great. But if you think Good about brands, you know, big brands you're working on for sure. Oh, it's huge important brands. Stuff. Yeah. Huge brands, great budgets with amazing agencies and creatives. That was like the boot camp for for brand and marketing. And I think about now being in, in beauty, it makes so much sense because if you think about a fragrance, right? That juice never changes, that bottle rarely changes. And, you know, if you think about like a Chanel number no. five that's been around for a century. Mm. The ability to market something and have someone come back generation after generation to to purchase one product, one bottle is a different type of marketing. So it, it kind of fed into, I think, where I ended up. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Guinness as a product, too, is globally known and yet served at all these tiny locations that have their own brand identities and feels and alongside yeah. of a whole bunch of other products that are different. It's like, I imagine running a campaign or keeping that brand consistent and the product consistent, of course, that's a whole other thing, but just on the branding aspect, you know, that'd be really challenging across all these locations in a, in a way that I wonder how, how Chanel has that same problem or not. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, Guinness is a great example of something that people feel is like heavy, feels like it's, it's older, but it's so established and, and recognized and it has its own mythology everywhere around the world. Right. If you go to Africa, some countries believe that Guinness means a certain thing, whether or if you go to Ireland, it means something else. And at the end of the day, keeping it relevant and markets who are just discovering a taste profile for beer or craft beer, how do you compete and how do you change with the time? So I think that brand does a really good job of staying relevant and just like you would need to do in beauty as well, because those products are not fast fashion, right? They they stay for a very long time. So it's more relationship driven, experience driven, and just making sure you're always kind of top of mind when you're when you're sitting down at the bar. Yeah. So after you left Diageo or what, what happened there? What was the what made you want to get out of the alcohol business and back into like beauty stuff? I think you did after that, right? Yeah, I mean, if if I think about my education, I, I went to some really good schools. I went to Notre Dame undergrad and graduated in two thousand and one. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember, but two thousand and one wasn't the best year economically, and especially with nine eleven just moving to the city. So it was it was a really tough time. Things were changing quite drastically. And then we graduated from business school in two thousand eight. And so that was very dramatic for me as well. And being at Diageo for only eight months with, with cuts, I was actually laid off from Diageo at mm. that time because of the economy. And that was really heartbreaking. I mean, business school is not cheap. And I think, too, you know, if I think about my personality, I've always kind of had this path for myself, this Excel spreadsheet of everything I wanted to accomplish, right? I think I've always kind of approached my career 
like an athlete, like, what can I do? What can I achieve? And sometimes it's not left up to you. And sometimes it's not in your hands. And it was a really good lesson, I think, for me, which has made me really resilient. I think it's made me a very powerful person in organizations because I think it was at that time where I decided that I will not give my whole self to just one path and that mm. it's really important that I have balance in my life. And so since then, I've really been kind of searching for that balance. It's hard when you, you know, have bills to pay and you need to make money and you want to progress and you see everyone around you doing well and getting promoted. But I think that that's when I kind of made the decision of like, well, what's my end goal to all this? You know, am I trying to be a CEO of a Fortune 500 or am I trying to be a VP? And, you know, what, what do I want for myself and mm -hmm. teaching? is was always the answer to that. And so I think from there, I started to make my path and um, wow. knew that I needed more experience, knew that I, uh, there were a couple of things that I wanted to accomplish in corporate, prove to myself, if you will. But ultimately, this is where I wanted to end up. And that's exactly what, exactly what happened. That's incredible. Yeah. So you had that from a, as a path from pretty early on in a way in your, yeah. in your career. And then you worked for seven or eight more years or something before you got to education, right? Like that's a long, you know, that's a intense focus on that goal in a way. It sure. is. I mean, I have to have something to teach. So I think that yeah. I approached my career as, you know, building my tool pack, right? So I wanted to be a marketer that could take a very old brand and revive it. I wanted to be a marketer who could take a very small, new niche area, white space opportunity and grow it. I wanted to prove to myself that I was a good leader of people and a, a great manager. And then once I could achieve those things, I also wanted to, to um, prove to myself that I could run a global business. And so once I proved those things to myself, I think that's when I was like, it's time to teach. Hmm. Yeah. And then so, you found yourself at a, an illustrious school at SCAD. And, and how did you make that transition like in both becoming a, you know, a professor first or and then a, you know, head of a college or, you know, like what's the, how does that work yeah. going from industry to getting a job in, in higher education like that? Yeah. So at the time I had one, I had one more industry I was interested in getting experience. So entertainment was an industry. I was like, you know, I, this could be pretty cool. So I had a few a few things that I was looking at in entertainment and then I was looking at PhD programs. I went back to our old professors, Professor Eisenstein in, in particular, and, you know, talked about, like, what's the path to being a professor? Do you think I need a Ph.D.? And, you know, there were so many mixed responses. And just one day I happened to open my LinkedIn and someone from SCAD said, have you ever thought about teaching? I mean, literally. And I was like, reached out to you that way. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, absolutely. And so. They mentioned to me that they were starting a new BFA program in the business of beauty and fragrance. And would I be interested in kind of like leading that department and, and starting the curriculum? So I get to keep my industry and then also start like developing the new talent for the industry. And so I could not turn that down. That was phenomenal. That's I had perfect. an interview. Yeah, I remember I had an interview. I came to Savannah, which is, have you been to no. Savannah? No, oh my I don't God. think so. Oh, my gosh. It's I mean, it's like even the five years I've been here, it's it's changed so much. But it's such a gorgeous city, gorgeous, gorgeous city. 
great place to live. You don't need a car. So I, I got here. I had one class. And I remember they said it was going to be 25 students. It ended up being 50 students. And I had to give a lecture. The feeling of that was so rewarding. That first year I remember teaching was just such a rewarding experience, such an emotional experience. And so I can't imagine doing anything else. Are you still teaching or do you just do administration stuff now? So, yes, I've, I've, I've been promoted a bit. So I was a professor. And once the program became big enough, I became the chair. And then we started a new school, a school of business innovation, which has been a phenomenal experience starting this new school, the DeSole School of Business Innovation. And now I teach one class. So every quarter I teach, you know, a class. I didn't teach a, a class lab, but I really do. I'm pretty close with the students and I, I really do enjoy it. So it's it's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So you still get to teach one or you still get some of that feeling of like yeah, being in touch with the students and having to <laughs> prepare curriculum and everything. It's probably yeah. a challenge. I know. Yeah. Has it gotten easier no. over the years? Are you do, teaching the same kind of thing or is it always changing? Well, this is the thing about SCAD. I mean, SCAD is really on, I think, the pulse of, of the industry and, and the creative field is, is constantly moving. And so mm -hmm. the way that they teach their, their curriculum, the way that they are are or way that we are, are organized, we're constantly looking to update. We constantly look at what jobs are emerging, what skill sets are emerging. And so we're constantly looking at the curriculum. So I'm, you know, that's something that I'm doing right now. And I'm working on developing some really cool things in the future that I can't necessarily talk about, but it's exciting. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. I won't, <laughs> I won't try to get all the secrets out of you yet. You, one secret you mentioned was that that's that's not so secret. Savannah is a city you don't need a car in. Why is that? So the historic district is pretty self-contained, very walkable. So it's almost like a, a village. But after five o'clock, the city has something called the downtowner. And it's like almost like an Uber service. They have their own fleet of cars hmm. and they come pick you up door to door. And so I like ride this thing <laughs> frequently if I get out of class because my classes are usually at five o'clock. And so it's very, very com convenient, but I just literally walk everywhere because, you know, I'm a New Yorker, so I just walk everywhere. It's and, small uh, enough. It's not like a suburban sprawl kind of city, huh? It's, no, I mean, they're, I mean, Savannah's big. I mean, if you want to, if you want to go out to the beach or like any of the islands, but it's so gorgeous, the trees and the, there's just so much to do. Lots of festivals, there's something going on every single day, whether it's you know, networking opportunities or galas or picnics or fireworks or harmonics in the park. There's always something. Yeah. What's one of your favorite uh, things you've gotten to do there? Oh, you know what I love? It's like a, a boat lighting regatta on the river. So all of these boats will like. Have this is a Christmas, Christmas time light. thing? Yeah. It's like yeah. Christmas lights. And then, you know, there's like floating hamburger boats in the middle of the, of the river and the people come out and they watch it. You know, of course, there's like lots of drinks on the boardwalk of the river. There's it's like a little it's a big entertainment complex called Plant Riverside. So there's it's, it's so much fun. It's it's gorgeous to watch, too. And we have a I lot of rooftop cars so you can get different angles. So it's fun. One of my colleagues at Intel is from Savannah and he always would talk about it. Yeah, he was always going back to visit his family. So, well, him, he, he was very bombastic. So, but you, I can trust more. I think this is a, this is a solid review. <laughs> yeah. And the food. Oh, my God. I gained, must be 35 pounds since I've been here. 
<laughs> I mean, the food is so good. Oh, wow. It's from yeah. Love and Life. I love it. Yeah. One thing I was wondering, getting back to our, you know, how we first met and everything and our, our, you know, your school back then versus your school now and your career throughout time, like what is something you learned back then that you have actually used or like what's your one, one of your key takeaways from MBA school that was actually useful? I mean, there was so much that I learned, but I think the, the, the biggest benefit was the importance of relationships. Hmm. And I think that, you know, having such a, a international school, because if you think about our class, it was, it was mostly international, wasn't it? Probably. Yeah. It was like a lot of Koreans. Yeah. And, yeah. and then a sprinkling of other things. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think like it was so. it was very it was very diverse and very international. And so I think from that experience and 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 making friends with you know someone from Korea and India and the Ukraine and you know Ethiopia it was just yeah. it just gave me such a broad perspective of the world and then that translated into my ability as a marketer to see opportunities. And so if you think about 2008, when we graduated, how the world has globalized since then, if you did not have the ability to understand the Chinese, understand the Brazilians, you know, you were, or Russia, you were not going to be successful. So I'm, I'm glad I had that opportunity because now I'm able to, to teach it and understand the nuances. Yeah, we got to widen our horizons at all these things, both in undergrad and then in grad school too, and then through work you know, branching out over time. When I was a kid, that was not the no the way life was, right? Like our childhood was raised in a, in a community. We had a lot of the same kind of people there and learned one kind of thing. And it was each step you go out into college, you get to broaden those horizons more until, yeah, you're able to handle these big brands and, and understand that consumers are different in all these locales and how the product might need to change for them or the marketing. It's pretty interesting. How, well, how did your childhood relate to this kind of internationalized life you've you've chosen since business school? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, my first international trip was in business school. Yeah. So the first time I'd stepped foot, you know, really off the continent, and I would say out of the country because I've been to the Caribbean and Mexico, but haven't really, you know, been abroad abroad. And so that was like my first experience, but both my parents were in the military. So I moved every three years when I was younger. So I had that experience and I went very far for college. And, you know, that that gave me, I think, the the appreciation of of different Americans, mm. but g- gaining an appreciation for everyone in the world and, and seeing the nuances, th- that was really rewarding, really yeah. rewarding, because I think sometimes, especially here, our media keeps us so insulated sometimes and that to see it for yourself and to see how human everyone is. And the fact that they are just not like, you know, a post on MSNBC, that they're they're actual like real people living there who who have all different opinions and and wake up and eat and want great things for their kids and family just like we do is is important to understand. Well, on that note, why don't we talk a little bit about some of your later career stuff? I am like a technology expert person you know that's definitely what i've focused on and learned about and 
immersed myself in over life and I am not a beauty products person. So <laughs> I have skin, so I can understand that a little, but how, where do you see you those absolutely two? absolutely are a beauty person. You know how I can tell? Like I'm looking at you right now. I can so tell. So clearly you have a body wash. That's true. Clearly I do. You I do maintain that soap. beard you have. <laughs> right? I see it. Did right? I, I try to look the same. I try to fade in the background on this uh, this podcast that way. You know, just... I, see the, I see the clean cut. So absolutely you use beauty. And everyone does. And I bet there's a few bottles of cologne sitting in your bathroom somewhere. <laughs> Don't be surprised. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a low scent guy or low. What do you say? Oh, I have some funny stories I can tell about that. Maybe we'll get to that one. But, but wait, yeah, does, just... your, does your wife ever like make you sit and she does the whole like facial on you? No, not too much. I like stay away from stuff a little bit. You know, I, I just try to be natural, <laughs> try to. Try to low on the, the additive things, I suppose. I have, so the funny story I have about this, which is personal but good for getting out. We'll see if I leave this in or not. But yeah, when I was in undergrad, I used to use like Tide and you know fabric softeners and just like normal stuff. Not like, on your face. No, 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 not as oh. an application product. But these are things that go on your skin, right? Like things that you, know, you wash your clothes and then. It leaves some residue in your in your clothing, basically. Okay, I on. thought this you were is... like applying the tide on your face. Okay. No, 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 yeah, this is not a <laughs> What's the Ian's beauty? stupid beauty trick. No, <laughs> I was like, what? Okay. Right, right. So I'm just saying, I used to use these products that were scented or like have mm -hmm. things in them, right? And then uh, same thing, like I didn't use Axe body spray because that wasn't a thing that existed then, but uh, but I would use some kind of product, right, back then. And then I had this strange thing where sheets of skin started peeling off of my private region and it was yeah. like what Allergy. the f is going on <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that was shocking enough that i i cut out all, <laughs> all those things switched to things that were like no scent no no additives like let's just <laughs> calm it all down yeah oh my gosh. yes yeah. then i've been okay so, so a lot since of people... then i i go light on products <laughs> i go a lot of people are allergic to fragrance, myself included. I'm very allergic to to fragrance, uh, to any type of elastic or light latex or <laughs> any of that. So I have to be very careful when I put on my skin. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So back to my big question, which was that technology versus beauty. Like, where's the overlap Ooh. there? What What is the new technology in beauty products that I should care about? This is a this is a huge question, and the industry hasn't cracked it. The industry has difficulty, I think, marrying tech to beauty, and and I think there's a reason for this. The insight behind beauty is very visceral, right? If you watch someone, if I give you a cream or a jar to to open, the first thing you do is you open this jar, and I guarantee you do this. Um, the fragrance, the smell. Yeah. Then you put it on your hand. You like the touch and feel. Um, it's almost similar to eating, right? So if someone gives you something you've never eaten before, you first smell it and then you put it in your mouth and then it's about the feel of it. If I developed a device to put the food in your mouth in a better way, you probably wouldn't be so interested in it. You're like, it's okay if I just eat the food with my hand. I don't need the device. And I think sometimes this is the case in beauty. Like I enjoy grooming myself. I enjoy feeling my hands on my face. I enjoy spraying the, the, the perfume on. And so sometimes I think we use technology very literally 
However, that being said, I think there is a lot of opportunity to marry wellness to beauty. And so I think the separation between health, wellness, and then our outward appearance and beauty, that separation will no longer exist. I think these things will merge. And I think that's where we have the opportunity for technology. Mm. Understanding my genetics, understanding how the sun affects my skin, understanding my specific DNA and how it responds to my environment, I think will feed into a lot of opportunity into the beauty industry. But I don't think it'll be devices. Unless it's hair, because when it comes to hair, I don't think anyone will have a problem sacrificing anything to get the hair they want, including men. You know, if you look at the hair loss industry and, you know, regrowing hair, people spend time and money and whatever you can to, to get the crown that they want, and myself included. I actually, you know, have been going on a really internal journey with my own hair. And and when I first came to SCAD, you know, I, you know, my entire life, I've always relaxed my hair. You know, I grew up where it was inappropriate to go to work with braids or natural hair. That was just yeah. known to be inappropriate. Well, you know, this generation whom I love, they're not here for it. And they've been challenging that status quo. And I remember my mother saying something to me, you know, how are you teaching the next generation of beauty students and you relax your hair? You're saying that, what are you saying to them? Yeah. And so I took that as a challenge and I cut off all my hair and I went natural. And I have been struggling with this decades long view of what's attractive and what's beautiful and then looking at myself every day. And so while I do like my hair and I think it's edgy and I'm it's, it's you know, something different every day and, and I, I really do love it and it's a part of me now, there are days where, you know, I, I'm sometimes like, hmm, that Halle Berry I had in business school was, was super cute and it framed my face nicely. But, you know, I working on seeing yourself as something beautiful. Is something that we all struggle with, and it's been a, a cool journey that I'm that I'm going through. But my students, oh my God, they're so supportive. <laughs> just yeah. like they have been following it, and they're just like, we love it, professor. Do they give you, you know, tips or you give you like, like your... help with stuff or what's? Oh, the... I yeah. get product tips. They, I mean, they they do nothing but research. They're yeah. they're such beauty junkies, and so I always get you know the new brand. So I I have a, a a graveyard of product. I try everything. I've been trying a couple of new companies recently, and it's been phenomenal. I even, I even get my hair done in all of the countries that I visit. Hmm. So that's been a great experience. What do you do when you walk into a place in a different country, and what do you tell them to do? You just say, hey, this is my head. Do something. <laughs> so when I went to Brazil, no one spoke English, and so that did not work out well for me because... I burnt my hair choosing the wrong color. And then when I went to Dominican Republic, I had a translator with me. That was phenomenal. I mean, she she taught me how to to do my hair. Yeah. And then when I went to Japan, that was probably the best hair. Really? You think they would not know how to work with your hair because it's not very Japanese-like, right? 
And and the fact that no one spoke English when I walked yeah. into the salon and that they all got together, talked about it, you know, touched my hair, and then they 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 found the products and I came out and I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, the Japanese are just phenomenal in this space. Wow. Um, so it's been it's been cool. So that's that's one thing that I've been enjoying about traveling. I try to make it a point to get my hair done wherever I go. Wow, how unique. That is cool. Yeah, I like your hair style as it is now. I think it's pretty cool. It's like a little little wild and yet tamed and, you know, kind of together and a little fun at the same time. You know, it's all it's a little bit of everything. It's neat. And it goes through a process throughout the day as well. <laughs> well speaking of that, what what is your what does it take to to do natural hair differently than when you were doing oh, it relaxed? Oh, this is like a like, four-hour oh thing. It's like a four-hour thing. So, I mean, from washing it, which I have to wash it in cold water, which is, like, uncomfortable, washing it, hydrating it, because it's like a sponge. I mean, it soaks up so much water, to actually getting the curl patterns, to brushing it out, to then having it dry properly so that it lasts for a while. It's a long experience. And and unfortunately for, you know, some of the photos that I have to take or interviews or things like that, um, there's not always someone who can do your hair. But I think New York is about to pass a law, if I'm not mistaken, that now stylists have to learn all hair types now instead of just one hair type, which I think is huge. Interesting. Seems, yeah, okay, that's an interesting way we can get into this whole idea of diversity and inclusion and like, what does it really mm-hmm. mean? How does it impact? So another way you could take that style thing is like, it's okay to specialize. Like I only do Japanese hair or I only do, you know, straight flat hair and I do curly mm-hmm. hair and I do like, you could, you know, choose that. Or there's this other path of, yeah, you must spend a certain amount of time learning a bit of everything and, and then you can specialize after that or not, or I can only do kids hair. I mean, what is the value yeah. of, you know, what, <laughs> yeah. what do you think, which way is the right way to go for society on these kind of things? Well, definitely, I think everyone should learn how different hair textures react to product. And so that's a that's a minimum. Now, if you specialize in this type of natural hair, even for a black salon, there are black salons who don't know how to do this hair type. So it's not a it's not a necessarily a race thing. It's more of a texture thing. And so everyone has a unique texture. And like any fabric right? You need different things to wash it. So you wouldn't wash your cashmere sweater in the same thing that you wash your, you know, workout clothes in or at the same cycle. And so I think everybody needs to understand all of the fabrics and what products and chemicals to use on on each. And then as far as styling and things like that, then you can specialize. But, you know, that's my personal opinion. But I think I think that's that's the more inclusive route to take, especially in the U.S., I think that yeah, where anybody could walk really into the shop, a right? U.S. conversation because for mo- for many places in the world, not all, for many places in the world, especially Europe, like you have more homogeneous cultures, so you may not have that. Except for me traveling to your co- country and and asking for to get my hair done, you may not have that experience. So let's talk a little more about the diversity and inclusion stuff. I know that's like it seemed like that's a big program at SCAD now too, or it's a big part Ooh. of the curriculum there. I know when. That was one of my memories from back in our MBA times. There was we had like a diversity and inclusion getaway that just like a certain portion of the class went to. I remember that being like this really special event or it was a really unique thing that added really? a lot to my my experience there of like feeling special and understanding people in a different way. And anyway, it was neat. So how do you see that as part of or I don't know if you remember that or if you were if you were there or not. Well, actually. Yeah. 
it was pretty cool. Well, how does that, how does that float on to your, your school now? Or where does it, I don't know how to ask. What's a good question to yeah, ask? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. So diversity inclusion, of course, is, is very top, to my, top of mind at SCAD. I think that it, it's nuanced a little differently because, you know, I'm at a school of, with artists. And so, you know, we concentrate a great deal on diversity of thought. And in doing so, the conversation becomes very rich. And yes, is ethnic diversity important? I think representation is important. You know, I think we're all coming from different places and being able to see yourself in the faculty that teaches you and the staff that you interact with and in the jobs that you are recruited for post-graduation is, is very important. I, I'm particularly passionate about it because I think there is a lot of opportunity for, you know, students of, co of color to find creative ca careers. Many times we grow up in underprivileged situations where, you know, we are the lifeline to our family and you're expected to achieve certain things, to make a certain salary and to be able to give back to your community. And so that means being a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, and many of those STEM programs. If you are a creative, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking for you. And that was the situation for me. I've always been a creative person and going to Notre Dame and then going to Cornell, you know, I've always kind of felt like that the only, right? And so I've always had the creative job, like even coming out of Notre Dame, I went into fashion. Yeah. And then coming out of, you know, Cornell, you know, going into beauty and, and spirits. Um, so I've always been that creative marketer. And so having a school like this or, or coming from a foundation of creativity, I, I can only imagine what I would have accomplished mm -hmm. uh, if I had that opportunity. So I love being in this environment. I mean, just on a personal level, teaching at the school and having my close friend being a shoe design professor or a film professor or a jewelry professor. I mean, it's it's so much fun. I mean, we get together and, and just have amazing conversations and amazing interactions and the collaborations we get to do with those professors, my fashion professors and my beauty professors. It's just, it's such a good time. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have any like unexpected or surreal moments that come up from thinking about these professors? <laughs> yes, yes. The, the chair of jewelry and I are really good friends. I really love jewelry. Earrings are kind of my statement piece. Uh, working in beauty, we always kind of focus on hair and face. Our, our fashion's pretty minimal, and it's all about having good skin. And then you get to, to do fun things with, like, makeup and, and earrings. Hmm. And so, you know, once I had the, the hair, you know, she and I have been kind of collaborating on headpieces and accessories. And so that's been kind of a fun, you know, interaction and hobby. She's made some earrings for me. What also, do you think of as a, a headpiece? Is that like a like a hat or like a tiara type thing? Well, or like a like, like a band? Jewelry. It's almost like jewelry embedded into your woven. Yeah, it, yeah. It's really cool. I can't wait to to wear it one day and 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 Instagram it. And then also developing working with professors to to design my own sneakers. That's been super cool with the shoe design professors. And mm -hmm. there's there's just nothing at SCAD you can't produce. Because, you know, we, we have the capabilities to do so much. So it's great to come up with these like really crazy ideas and pitch them to the PR team and do some really fun workshops with the students. Yeah. What's a surprising thing that the students have come up with that you, you've seen? Or like what kind of projects do they get to do? 
One of the ones I'm I'm most proud of is, you know, I had a student when I first started. Uh, her name is Hannah Harris. And uh, we had an article from Vogue um, asking, like, where are all the brown girl hands? So I ever see products that are advertised on Instagram and you see the hands holding the, the product? Well, there's not a lot of diversity. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So it's usually white hands, you're saying. Huh. Yeah. Huh. And so she started um, a blog called Brown Girl Hands. And so companies started sending her product and she made her own business. And she was she's won so many different awards and she still has this business today. And it's it's considered like an industry change making account. And so I'm super proud of what she's accomplished. Also, some really creative tech ideas from the students and some salon ideas that have really kind of pushed the envelope on even wellness and sexual health. And so they just have minds that you just, you can't even imagine, but I get to work with each of them and bring yeah. these concepts to life and prototype them. And so that's the, that's the fun part is, you know, I'm in a, like a little think tank incubator with some amazing talent. So that's super fun for me. Yeah. I imagine, you know, coming up with this new school and then you were like, you were tasked with both creating a class or and then creating the whole kind of curriculum for what that would be. Like, what is that like? What, how did you, what did you set as your goal for what someone would get from this school? I wanted it to be better than the education that I got. Um, I wanted it to be relevant for today. And, and to be honest, the business has changed. And, you know, if you think about when business school started, during the Industrial Revolution, it was really about training employees to be managers in factories, right? That, that mm. was kind of where we were back in that time. Well, we are a country of idea, ideas and, and IP and, and innovation and data, and we're in a digital world and services, right? And so what does that mean creatively? And so I think, you know, what you need to be successful in business today demands that you have a creative approach. And so now looking at our traditional, you know, education, which was phenomenal, don't get me wrong, and we still have that. But understanding that my students can Google anything they want, anything they want. It is up to me to create a classroom experience where they can make connections, that they can learn, and that they can ideate and innovate. And so that's really my job. It isn't the, here's my PowerPoint presentation and here's, you know, everything that I know on a slide and you listen to me for two and a half hours and then take this test to make sure you remember it. This is about working, workshopping in class and, and applying what I'm teaching in real life to get real life experience. And so creating the curriculum means being really rigorous on the assignments, workshopping ideas and concept, interning and bringing in industry so that they're getting real life feedback for what they're doing. And that it's just not an academic exercise. All of our assignments come from industry. And so this new approach to education, I think, is so powerful. And that's why we're getting the innovation that we're getting here. And it's fun to be on that forefront of really changing the way that we look at business school and, and teaching students. And so we're getting, you know, great, great results with anywhere from 99 to 100 percent employment in, in many of the programs in the business school. So 
I love collaborating with the industry. I still am very close to the industry, probably more so now than I was then. And so having that relationship and then bringing them into the classroom, it's super fun. And we have some really cool things planned for next year, which I can't wait. What do you mean by you're really, you're closer to the industry now? Is that because more different companies kind of come in and try to try to access you guys' talent and things? or uh, So you're not just stuck in the one company and one brand you're looking at all the time? Yeah. And we also have a, we have an internal creative agency. So we have students who will work with our professors and we actually do projects with companies. So we work with companies like NASA and Google and Facebook. And we also work with, we did a SCAD Pro recently with Cody, which is Calvin Klein fragrances. Mm. And so we do some really cool projects and our students love it. And so that gives them kind of the real world experience they need for their portfolios. Yeah, I think that stuff was super valuable in our MBA program and stuff too, or that was, uh, yeah, some of the best moments is just getting out to go work on something real. And then, of course, you know, once you go out in industry and you're, you're working for those companies, I think you build on that experience in a much more major way, of course, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, just getting a taste of it was, was super useful to the, to the students. That, that internship, right, that we do between first and second year, I mean, that... That's what what really elevates you. Um, yeah, once it shows that, you what the real job is going to be like, oh, what yeah. you're really training for. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we give that every day in the classroom. That's great that they get a chance to work on their own stuff. One thing you thought I thought of when you're talking about innovation and and kind of education and where it's going or setting up this this process of education in and looking towards the future with that is is AI. I think of this two ways. One is with my own kid, you know, my kids Whoa. are four and zero. And I wonder like, will they even go to college? Like what will college be like in 15 years when AI can teach you so much or be your partner through things? It's like, do I need to do that at all? And then I also think of like how the kids, or, you know, the students, sorry, <laughs> how the students use it today or like how you're trying to infuse that into the curriculum of ideating things or being a partner in their it sounds like there's a lot of space for it in your school of building, like pr- being there to practice building something as opposed to just writing a paper or you know, analyzing a case or something that, you know, maybe an AI could have done without your input. So how do you see it influencing you in the short term, you know, the curriculum in the short term, and then well, that long-term picture, like what will school be in 15 years? Yeah. So So just to start with, like, right now, I think it's a great tool. Of course, it isn't perfect yet. I'm not worried about it, like, taking over massive amounts of jobs, you know. And and on our side, you know, students are using it. There's not—I don't think that it's it's realistic to think that you can do much about it. This is a technology that's coming, and I think that we should use it or look at it as an opportunity to leapfrog what we do as humans— we spend a lot of time computing, right, researching and, and asking questions and trying to find things and ideating and brainstorming. But now if we can cut that time down, we can focus on um, moving forward as a civilization. You said something earlier about, you know, will they even need to go to college? What I'm finding is that there is there's more of a need now for the softer skills that you and I took for granted growing up, right? Mm. This idea of of empathy and collaboration and working together, resilience and excellence in execution and learning agility and things like that. 
that students today, as smart as they are, don't necessarily get it in the same way that I think we received it when we were growing up. So I, I think there is a recalibration that has to happen in education. And we're seeing a lot of high schools around the world starting to focus on what we call soft skills and what SCAD refers to as power skills. Uh, so presentation skills and things like that. So I, I definitely think there still will be a need for that level of education because knowledge alone doesn't make effective person. Yeah. That being said, I think now that we have to level up what we require from our students and what we require from the workforce. And so the, all of the emailing and running reports and, and analysis and all of this should be able to go away now so we can be more action-oriented and, and move faster with the market and faster with information. Now, if we're looking at the future, I think that data in general is a, is a discussion that, that needs to be had globally, and there's so many implications to it. I think there's a, an economic conversation that needs to happen about how companies are using our data to make money. I think, you know, there's a whole economy there that needs some calibration. I think that from an AI perspective, I think that there is, you know, if we look at kind of our space travel and, you know, our resources and fossil fuels on this earth and, and, and how we live together because the world is getting a lot smaller, how we live together, AI can help with that. And I think that there needs to be some conversation around that not in a vacuum. Um, and I think it could be helpful. Where I see the talent will need to grow. We're going to need people who can ask the right question. What does that mean? Some people could interpret it as just, oh, you got to go get better at prompting an AI or something. Like that. But I yeah. think you mean something deeper than that. I, I mean all the things. Right now we receive information and we respond to it, whatever tweet or whatever news we get. And then we post our feelings and our comments and I'm looking for a world now that starts to get really intense and in, in asking the right questions mm. so that we can start to, to solve some, some big issues that we have in the world. That's what I would like to see. That's the answer to your, you know, 100 years from now question. I do wonder. Yeah, yeah. Like there could be some future where we all just have a little, you know, robotic thing following us around, whether it's in our brain or not, or, you know, that that's what the the obsoleting yeah, university phones. experience yeah yeah it's like yeah that's already there right you have a little piece of it and it just keeps growing until you know there's a there's a lot of learning we do i guess it's the power skills like you mentioned like what are we really doing in in college what are we really learning you're sure there's some stuff you we talked about earlier our finance class and our marketing class and we you know we went through these experiences and we learned a bunch of skills there but there's still a foundational experience of what we remembered of spending that time in our life of doing the traveling, doing the expanding of your horizons. The, you know, there was a, a broader thing you learned that probably won't go away no matter how good your, mm -hmm. your AI gets your AI companion. That's true. That's true. For sure. Also like from each other, I didn't grow up with an understanding of personal finance or stocks or world events in history, our education, especially, you know, I grew up mostly in the South. I didn't have that. And so I think like, 
you know, making friends with with people like you and and some of our other classmates really gave me some insight into, you know, what I needed to focus on. And so I, I think the more people can develop those relationships, it's it's just so powerful. And I just don't know where we get the opportunity to do that if it's not in school. Mm. We're we're becoming so insular with social media. Yeah, social media is a weird thing that has really changed our lives in a deep way and keeps keeps doing it. It's also changed the beauty industry a lot. Every influencer has a product line now or there's you know, this is like the trend of the moment almost is you talked mm-hmm. earlier about like how cosmetics and things could become personalized more or that there's a future where you know it's individualized to your genetic pattern maybe or you know mm-hmm. so really really customized to you but that's like that's not like what we see right now right it's it's customized to an influencer and and their marketing campaign towards you like what how do you think that's going to evolve yeah i mean we have the capability now to change eye color which i think is like fascinating but as far as the celebrity brands i don't i mean celebrities have spirits alcohol companies they have fashion brands they have beauty i mean i i don't think that'll go away we'll always want a recommendation from somebody we admire that's yeah. just that's just a thing i think that in the beauty industry i think what influencers are are, are doing is they're diversifying the perception of and definition of of what beauty looks like and so some of the beauty standards if you think about like glossier and goop now there are more influencers and diverse influencers, whether that's like J-Lo or Tracy Ellis Ross, really diversifying like what you can can purchase mm. from the people that you admire. And I'm I'm here for it. They all go, they all like go in cycles. I love trying, you know, every new product and so does everyone else. It's fun. It's accessible financially for everyone. And it's it's pleasure, you know, grooming yourself, taking care of yourself. It feels good, and so I, I I'm I, I think it'll it'll die down most likely. You know, the there's a lot of there's a lot of conglomerates in the beauty industry, companies that own forty to fifty brands, and so I think that we'll still see some a lot of activity there. I personally am waiting for the men's market to to really hit its peak. Because right now, if you think we're only reaching mostly like fifty to sixty percent of the population, I th- I'm 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 really interested on and when men are going to to really embrace the beauty. Yeah, what could that look like? What do you mean, like that they just start wearing makeup like women wear it, or do you mean more that there's some new types of products or just a new focus of men? spending a lot more time on it because somehow they all become interested in it. Well, I think spending time on it, I mean, you know, not even necessarily makeup, but I mean, just spending a little bit, you know, more time on, you know, the process yeah. and the ritual. So I think it's an interesting can... topic of like, you know, how are men and women really different? Or I think there's a comedian, there's a joke about the WNBA. I think it's Bill Burr who talks about it of like, you know, that the reason the reason the tickets aren't expensive or the games aren't televised as much is because women aren't watching it. Like, hey, women, why don't you show up? And if you sit, spend your time watching that instead of uh, Desperate Housewives, then they'd be getting all the money, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the beauty thing might be the same way. It's like, 
It's yeah, a great could analogy. Be a big men's market, but maybe men just don't want to do that. It's a great analogy. The only thing, hmm. But then you have women's soccer, which, and then you have women's just gymnastics that we like to watch. Maybe it's an issue with the sport. And men everywhere besides the U.S. are much more interested in beauty. Because if you go oh, to yeah. Korea, it's it's oh, that's interesting. Yeah, if you go to Korea, I mean, men are wearing makeup. Yeah, definitely oh. a cultural thing. A cultural thing. That, yeah, whether it's a gender thing or a culture thing, that's a good. It's a cultural thing. Topic, interesting. Sure. Because if you look at the history of beauty, men have have historically been have worn more wigs, makeup. It's it, it wasn't until Victorian England, our Victorian area, that really you know we saw a decrease in this that that beauty became gendered. Yeah. So, oh, that sounds like an interesting class right there. The the history class here is that's is, my uh, intro to beauty. How did that happen? Yeah, how did yeah, how did men become out of this beauty? Oh my God, the the best book uh, a good friend of mine, David E, wrote. It's called Pretty Boys, and he does the whole history of men's beauty. It's such a good book. In our culture today, it's like straight men aren't supposed to be into beauty, pretty much, right? Yeah, and then it's you know if you're James sexual. Charles, it's really cool. But yeah, it's just like why does beauty have anything to do with you know sexual relations? Is beyond me, and that's that's a, something specific to the U.S. And there's a level of homophobia there that that's that's very odd to me. Um, yeah, it's pretty wacky. And if you think about the '70s, and you have men who were you know more peacock than women in those in that day, it wasn't like a couple decades ago. With the bell bottoms and the the hair and the the grooming, so what? The w- women had some pretty big styles then too. But yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I love More looking because... at those '70s movies, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, there was, men definitely participated in beauty. Now it's all muscles. That's that's the thing you got to have to be a, you know a superhero and have big muscles. That's. Yeah, I think for our generation, but the the generation coming behind us, you know, with the Harry Styles and the Billie Eilishes and, you know, it's it's changing. Men's cosmetics are HGH and uh, testosterone. I think that's uh, <laughs> that's the well, that's well, the injection of the, well, the product. I'm 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 so here for it. I want to see it. <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I have not been into doing any of that big workout stuff to get big muscles. That has not been my <laughs> my key thing. I've been running a lot and doing some more fitness stuff. But I don't know. What have you been up to in that space? I you you mentioned you you do some dance stuff earlier. So I'm I'm <laughs> so I have a, I have a trainer that I've been working with. But this is I mean this has been such a journey. I mean, hitting forty is <laughs> what's that like. As a woman, I mean, it's part of it's like the best time in my life. I've never had so much independence. I've never been so sure of like who I who I am and what I want to be and what I want from life. There's, it's so great. Everything's kind of falling into place work wise, personally. I have a dog now, and it it's it's so great. But you know, things don't work the way that they are supposed to <laughs> anymore. And I am struggling with this concept of I cannot run, hop, skip, and jump and do everything that I want to do now. I mean, I yeah. roller skate and run and flip and 
It's just, I can't do anything. I can use, I used to be able to run in heels, like uh, putting on heels for more than 10 minutes now is just like an impossibility. <laughs> so, but maybe that's the same. So my running stuff, I took like a year and a half or something just to get back in shape kind of, or, or to try to get back in shape without getting constantly injured. I, I was doing all these kind of waves of like injury. getting in good shape and then. You know, yeah, I'd have some kind of injury and it would just be like walking around in pain for six months without doing any workout. It was pretty annoying. So the key for me was stretching, really. It was just having like a lot more warm up time and a lot of stretching time that flexibility as you get older is, I bet, for heels. Yeah. It's the same and everyone, thing, you know? everyone says like yoga. And I'm like, I get so bored. I'm like, as soon as I start doing yoga, I'm thinking about all the things I need to do. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, I like can do it. And so it's it's been a struggle, but I mean, I love my trainer. He's he's phenomenal. He really like pushes me through it. I do. I train like twice a week and then um, I go on walks um, around the park. I love the park. And I'm hoping now with my new puppy that um, I'll be doing a lot more cardio. So, yeah, <laughs> but stretching, so it'll probably be a little lazy. Is that real tiny? Is it a little, tiny little dog? Yeah. Well, I mean, short, short walks, at least. Short walks, like like I like to do. And so I'm I'm looking forward with that. She's in puppy camp right now for six weeks. So I get her back December 27th. And so I'm I'm What do they excited. teach them in puppy camp, I wonder? What do they what do they promise you that they come back so, doing? <laughs> so sit, lay down, stay, leave things alone. They also teach like distractions. So like fireworks, noises. Calm during that kind of thing. Exactly. And then mm. like how to get a restaurant off leash training. So I'm I'm super excited about that. I just don't have the I, I it's hard for me to discipline. I don't know how you feel as a parent, but it's a skill. Second I do it and the dog starts to cry or whine. You give in. You're <laughs> well it's definitely a skill like i think with the, the dog stuff too if you ever watched caesar milan or any of his any of those dog shows often they're training the humans as much just as much as the dog or more sometimes like so do they yeah. does this class do that too do they bring you in and like they yeah. teach you how to yes do the things that they've been trying to tell the dog right yeah up to six months after the the camp and so nice. i'm i definitely need training and so do the people around me who assist me with bella and so, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that too. But I, I think it's it's one of two things, right? They say you train the dog, or the dog trains you. She was definitely training me, and so <laughs> it was it was time to 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 hand it over to the professionals. Well, good luck. Yeah, you're you could do it. You're strong, <laughs> and she's super cute. I'm gonna show her for you. She's super cute, and you can edit it. But sure. this is her when I first got her. Oh yeah, there she is. And she's like the cutest little thing when she's not whining. And that's her and I together when I first got her. <laughs> the the sad thing is, like, it's gonna be six weeks and she's gonna be so big by the time I get her, get her back. But that's okay. I have lots of time with her. So yeah, you got the dog, you'll be out walking the dog, that'll be good. Do you do any other any other activities or any other hobbies now that that you really like? Well, I'm I'm still involved with Paul Taylor Modern Dance Company in new york city so i just got back from new york at the latest gala and it's it's been amazing to see the company go from city center to lincoln center now with new choreographers post the death of of mr paul taylor and mm -hmm. see how 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 much it's grown as we talk about branding before if you think about a company and modern dance and, and keeping people who are are young interested in this this field of art 
it, it can be difficult. So I've been a big proponent of ex exposing modern dance to to younger uh, consumers and younger audiences. So that's been kind of like a fun hobby I have on on the side. Yeah. And is there any link to to SCAD? Do they like it's just they're both so art oriented and so but mm -hmm. it's a, a kind of a different piece of art or do you is there? Yeah, yeah I collaborate. Yeah, I collaborate with the film and acting department. They have a dance minor, so Tiffany Everest, who teaches dance in our department. So, you know, she and I try to arrange internship opportunities for students and who are interested in dance. And we have alumni events at Lincoln Center to see Paul Taylor when we can. So I do enjoy kind of mixing the the two of those. Yeah. How'd you get into the the Paul Taylor stuff or what was, yeah, what what excites you about it? So I, I have a friend uh, who used to be a dancer in the company, and I got to see uh, Piazzolla, which is their rendition of the tango. And so they have these vignettes of different couples uh, doing a tango-esque type of, of dance. And I mean, it like makes you feel like your heart's going to burst. Like it's one of my favorite. Uh, and then they have a lot of uh, like comedic pieces and just really beautiful works that are really about society and, and politics even, and a lot about relationships. So I, I really do enjoy watching it. It's a little esoteric, I think, for some people, but there's such a, a large collection of choreographies. And so I think that, you know, if you really do enjoy some of the, the more recent pieces, it can be, it can be really fun. But I, I do like very classic Paul Taylor. Hmm. Yeah, we... Uh, my wife and I go to the ballet here sometimes and uh, we have a friend who, whose child participates in it. And, and, you know, so that was kind of our entry into it and, and to, to care about that scene here a little bit, but we haven't done a lot of the other dance activities or, or, or viewed any of them or, or even gone to any shows. So the question I wanted to ask about was the ballet seems to have like, they do a few shows a year and then they have like the Ooh. Nutcracker and some, some standard, you know, classic shows they do that that fill out the the schedule or something is is paul taylor that way too or you kind of hinted at that there was some set pieces they have or some certain certain yeah. choreographed things or how does it work yeah so i mean of course like the ballet is something completely different you know that kind of christmas nutcracker i think is, is pretty indigenous to, to ballet but there are classic you know paul taylor pieces that i think you know are are often done every season or every other mm -hmm. season and but what I like about Paul Taylor is every time that you go to a show, you're going to be exposed to a, a wide variety and it's going to hit everyone very different. And so I don't get bored. You know, I can I can honestly recite the, the dances in in New York City Ballet and I, I'll know what I'm seeing. And I remember unless they do new pieces. And so. I, I like the the modernity of of how they interpret like what's happening today into their dances. That's what that's what I like about Paul Taylor. While they're like guest choreographers and and the orchestra that 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 actually plays with them, so it's cool. Oh yeah, they have an orchestra, huh? It's not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, epic! Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I wonder it's if there's a traveling fun. traveling company to Portland here. They are very international. Search. They are very international. They travel quite a bit, actually. So you can yeah. definitely see it. Well, what else do I have on here? Anything else to cover? I, you know, who knows how people listen to these things in general? Most people don't get to the end. And 
I think the, a lot of ways that this content ends up getting the, to the most people or maybe it's the most useful is turning into shorts, right? So it's like finding those oh, little yeah. stories or little bites that are um, on. So this is like another new thing I'm working on, right? Is like trying to get the shorts to actually hit. My last episode, I got a whole bunch that had about like 6,000 views, which was which was good for my show. Was that, was that like Nothing. No, that was the one with uh, this friend I met here in Portland, Brett Cassidy. He's a, okay. he hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and like that, like Pacific Crest Trail is a good search term, basically. Like yeah. people care about that. They like hearing about stories about that. So it showed it to, YouTube has like all the control over it. You put this thing up and a lot of times, you know, it's, they show it to a hundred people. And then if those people, depending on how many of those people click on it, they'll show it to some more. And then depending yeah. on how far they watch into it, how much watch time it gets, you know, if they click away after 40% of the video watch, then they stop showing it. You know, if they, if they get, they get through 60 or 80%, then they'll show it to some more people. And they keep doing that and expanding the circle until the videos uh, run, its, run its course. So you need to have these like search term things basically <laughs> so that yeah. it uh, finds the right people who care about that, that will actually watch the video. And if, if it doesn't find those people right away, if you know, you don't set your, uh, your title up for the video and your description to find those right people, then, uh, then just no one sees it. And, you know, all the work to make any of the content is useless, right? So, but the, then I have like the friends or the people who actually watch the podcast or care about that. And that's more just like us and the people we know. I then there's like a, the end. <laughs> oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah. And it's fun, right? Or it's not, not bad. Yeah. It's good to see like mm. how everybody's like interpreted life and where they landed. Cause I think all of us are pretty settled now. And so, you know, our philosophy of life, I, you know, I feel like in business schools, we had long talks about what we believe and what we're going to do with our lives and not knowing and unsure where we're going to get a job or an internship. And now I'm like, this is who I am. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Like, yeah, you've really found a good path for yourself or that. Yeah. You, you kind of set that goal in a, in a loose way, but yeah, work towards getting that industry experience and then getting into a place you want to be. It, it's very impressive and you know congratulations on that that success I, would, I hope it feels that way to you it does feel like success but I, I'll, I'll say that you know what I've really been exploring recently which I gave zero thoughts to or zero energy to my entire career and most of my life are relationships romantic mm. relationships and so you know now you know I have a boyfriend now and that's not something I've you know really had before and, you know, being in New York for 20, 20 years, you know, like, it's just mm. it's not a big dating scene there. Yeah, like what, I'm totally interested in in how you chose that path in a way, or like, yeah, is New York just a place that is not conducive to forming long-term relationships and marriages and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone who comes to New York is looking to be the best in their industry. They're looking to work with the best, to be the best, and to achieve. And there are similar professional athletes, if you will. And mm. so the focus is is not really there. And it definitely wasn't for me. It was just not something that, you know, I really thought about in business school or undergrad or, you know, coming out. And so now, you know, this is the fun time of, you know, having dinner with friends and, and dating and, you know, going on trips together. And, you know, that's a whole other fun exploration and part of my life that's new because you know, I'll ask you the same question. So now we're here and we're, you know, kind of hitting 40. I think you're a little younger than me. 
I think, I think we're about the same age, actually. Yeah. And so, and now going into this new space and I, I'm like, well, so, so now, you know, what is it? And I find that my goals are like very simple. It's like, you know, I want to do a cabin in the mountains. I, I want to ride a horse in Montana. I'm like obsessed with Yellowstone. So I want to do everything. <laughs> and so like, they're, they're like small things. I want to see a whale in Alaska. I do a lot of, you know, animal safaris all over, you know, the world. Um, and, you know, I've never been scuba diving and I've never been to, you know, St. Bart's. I've never tried to surf. And so all of these things now are kind of coming on my list. And there's some five-star restaurants, Michelin restaurants I want to go to in Europe. And I want to go to some of these rare food restaurants in Japan. And like, there's so much I want to do. I haven't been to the Middle East. So, but I want to do it with someone and friends. And so now that I have this kind of great group of kind of eclectic and international friends, it's been fun. So I'm, that's the stuff that I'm really into. And, you know, I can, I can see a day now where I'm, I may not be working one day, you know, and I don't think, you know, being younger, that's something that ever crossed my mind. Oh, do you mean you're setting it as a goal, like, you know, like the financial independence, retirement yeah. early kind of community or like, hey, yeah, that I have this, this thing and I'm going to save a bunch of money and then I'm not going to work. Yeah, that's okay. not something that ever. So, I mean, I can, I, I think now it's interesting being at that age of like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's another milestone. Yeah, no, that's exciting. What are you that, thinking? I mean, you have kids, so it's it's about seeing them graduate and, you know, all of that. You have a while, yeah. you have a whole other milestone. So, I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of those things you're talking about, or I tried to get a lot of that out of the way during, or, you know, like during grad school, I was very focused on, you know, forming relationships and meeting people as well as, um, you know, going out and, experiencing life, you know, mountain biking or, you know, going, you going on like, trips, going, doing different stuff, you know, having yeah, adventures. You're pretty athletic, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. We try to try to be that way or, you know, then so you, I, I you, guess you I bicycle too a lot, right? Yeah. I did triathlon for a while. Actually in grad school, yeah, I was doing it then I was training for an Ironman and then I, That's I, I, right. I completed I that remember. years after. Yeah. I got sick at the end of grad school or I had to get my gallbladder out and that kind of it was like a month before my race or something and, you know, blew up my, my chances for that one. But I don't think I was really ready for it then anyway. So anyway, it took me a few more years to get back and I did a whole lot more triathlons and, and then I did, I did Ironman Cozumel years later. And actually I pro proposed to my wife at the end of it, I carried the ring with me through the I swim. I, 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 what do you call it? I sewed it into my uniform and, and then I asked her to marry me at the end. So anyway, a lot of random stories together, but that was, uh, yeah, it was a fun quest to, to accomplish that big goal. You know, I set this big audacious goal for myself that not everybody can do an Ironman. And I was like, yeah, let me, let me see if I can do it. And that started me off on a, a quest of other endurance sports, but, but it was really fun. And then how did you decide to get out of industry? I guess, uh, like you, I've always wanted to do creative stuff and have kind of woven a bunch of those pieces throughout my career as well. And maybe seven or eight years ago when I was working at Intel, I 
kind of had that that moment that you talked about a little bit earlier in your career, maybe of, you know, I could see where it was going and wasn't going exactly where I wanted and had this kind of decision to make. And I decided then to kind of not go too crazy with my Intel career and, and focus on these other things at the same time. So I started, I wrote a, a virtual reality video game and started like learning other skills, learning to code really well and, and, and do game design and, you know, started building out these other pieces of things I could do and tried to like have a side side hustle that was keeping me interested instead of my main career, trying to like really pursue that to the nth degree. And then so this is kind of the result of it is I, I did that for a while and it's just not enough. Like you can't, you can't really succeed in these side careers if you're not focused enough on them. So mm-hmm. when this came up at the end of last year, we had the opportunity to, you know, get some severance package and all that. And I decided, you know, Hey, I'm going to actually try to do it. And so, so this was a, the first big project of mine was, which was going to be a side hustle thing was this podcast and to say, let me put some of my time into, you know, connecting up with friends, capturing their insights, using the skills I've built at Intel and in my career of interviewing and doing research and trying to, you know, understand people at a, at a deeper level and try to bring some of those skills to this fun little project, which turns into be like a lot of work, you know, <laughs> that running the podcast has taken way more time than I thought it would, but I'm Podcasts looking forward to it. are actually an assignment in one of my classes. And oh, my yeah? students are always like, this is a lot of work. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> and it was- <laughs> Everybody and their brother seems to have one, but it all seems to be easier than mine. I don't, I like, I mean, like I did I'm- this video thing and it, it 10x the amount of work. I thought it would be like, just a little bit extra. Oh, I'm already recording audio. Let's do video too. But it's way more. I, I always wondered when you were like have a videographer or you have someone taking pictures, like why it takes them like a month to get back to you on the final print <laughs> and everything. So like, what are you doing? Yeah. Over there? It's just like you took the picture. I saw them. Just send it back to me. And uh, now being on this side of the creative and seeing the processes, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. But some of the things you don't even see as an audience member. Yeah. understand the quality now i i have that background and it is it is intensive doing and podcasts are like it's a lot i'm persnickety enough to well to both know the differences in quality and then to want to attain, attain them and it's like well how much time do i trade for you know trying to make this visual quality a little bit better that most people watching podcasts aren't even watching the video so like it's all uh, exercise and futility sometimes. i think it's and content is king and it's table stakes so everyone has to have this skill. And yeah. like all of my students have this, this skill because you yeah, just cool. you have to. You have to. I'm just amazed yeah, at so TikTokers. I'm, oh, go ahead. Yeah. TikTokers who are like putting this stuff together and like three or four TikToks a day. Like how much time do you spend at home recording this stuff? Yeah, and editing and everything. It is an intense production or I don't know how, how people do it. Some of the Some of the YouTube edits I've seen where they're having, oh, you know, yeah. five cuts every second. And it's like just the amount of work it is to to do any of that is crazy. Like I'm I'm trying to edit together this video, which is mostly just one big long segment, single camera stuff. And it's all, you know, takes a lot of time. So yeah. yeah. It's impressive. Or it's daunting. Really? I think you I look at all that content out there and it's like, oh my gosh, how could you ever compete? Or how does anybody so what do you think about doing next? Uh, I'm really gonna get back towards the video game development stuff. I think I'm it really it felt good when I was doing that, or it feels like the place I want to be. So, uh, my goal is to kind of wrap up some of this podcast stuff. I still want to keep it as a 
side skill or side thing I'm doing or, or a fun business. Or like you said, it's like even doing the video game stuff, I need the media creation and the, the personality or the, the ability to promote it through video and social media and all this kind of content. So that's my goal, I guess, is try to get some of my games running again and, and then use some of this to help it promote it eventually. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Something. It's something. <laughs> How about you? What's, what's next? Teach the dog. I think that's probably the oh, enjoy dog life. And <laughs> I mean, I keep going to school. I have a, I have a business school that's only two years old and we have a lot planned. And so, you know, the thing about teaching is it's never perfect, right? Like you're constantly updating and upgrading and building out programs and, and making new ones. And so I think right now I'm kind of delving into the graduate space. I was really focused on undergraduate education mm -hmm. when I first came. So I'm really delving into the, to the graduate level programs at this point, which is really exciting and super interesting. And then also just learning the university. I've only been here for five years and learning higher education, working with high school, high school, learning about the, the recruitment process. So there's a lot of, of industry knowledge that I'm trying to pick up on now. But I think ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to, to having my puppy and developing that kind of personal side of my life. And, and, you know, my mother's moved here now. And so just really kind of enjoying family, building family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, for me, you know, I tried to do a lot of that adventure stuff earlier on in the way. And then now, yeah, it's very family focused that I'm, I'm spending a lot of time just trying to be a great dad. And I guess that's my, the thing I'm trying to succeed in most yeah. <laughs> taking good care I of mean, my kids. We have fun. <laughs> yeah. And fun. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied uh, with that. I don't, I don't feel like if I died tomorrow, like, I mean, I, I got to do all the things that I wanted to do. It sounded like the trips you got to take were really cool. Like the, the fact that we had those excursions, they're like a little bit planned, you know, yeah. you, you could be part of the planning, but you know, someone was there caring about it, planning it. And then you could go jump in and go Absolutely. to all those, you, you, you then, mentioned I mean, a lot of great countries. Yeah. And then, I mean, Ian, now I'm the one planning the trips. I'm the one taking them abroad. And yeah. so it's, it's a, it's a crazy experience, but you know, now I get to do so much and it, it kind of relived that in a way. So that's, yeah, that's cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Melanie. It was Absolutely. wonderful to catch up Thanks with you and me. let me know if there's anything I can do for you ever, of course, and Absolutely. You know, keep up the good work. Thanks. That's it for today. Thanks a ton for listening and don't forget to like, and subscribe. I hope you learned something and I'll see you next time, friends.